This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Let's open in prayer before we dive into the lesson this morning. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that you indeed are God, that you know us, you know what we need, you know how to meet our needs. We thank you that you are a God who loves and who comforts. We ask this morning that you would be with Adam and the children and the family, and as well as us. We pray your comfort. We pray. In the classic definition of the word, which means to beg, we pray, we beg that you would meet us this morning, that you would be our strength, our source. We also ask this morning that you would speak to us from your word, that we would follow you better, know you more. In your most holy and precious name, amen. We're in James chapter 5. We have been working through the book of James. We are now in in chapter 5. You know, one of the great benefits for work to, to one of the great benefits to working through books of the Bible as we do here at Leewood Baptist uh, is that it forces us to deal with difficult topics and it also means that we can't just camp out on the things that we like to talk about. It means that you uh, don't have to hear the same sermon over and over and over because that just happens to be the favorite topic of you know the, the pastor. Um, but unfortunately, it also, or no, actually not unfortunately, fortunately, <laughs> um, it might be painful, but it also means that you have to hear things that you might not want to hear. And as we have mentioned over the past several weeks, James doesn't tiptoe. Uh, it seems like when James wrote this book, he put on his combat boots and got ready for some toe stomping, doesn't it? Many of, I don't know about you, but many of the sermons and the lessons and the passages that we have gone over in the past several weeks have been incredibly convicting. James has addressed our heart condition. A while back, we did a whole series on what is a true believer. And James really continues that. That was James' concern. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? They, back in in the first century, were wrestling with some things that we are still wrestling with. People who give lip service to God, to Jesus. But then don't live that out. Now, sometimes it's just because we don't know. We've never been taught any better. You have a lot of people coming out of different belief systems, whether it comes from the old Judaism, and they're carrying all of that baggage and all of that legalism, or whether they've come out of the pagan system where everything's okay, 
and having to be retaught. I think many of us have experienced, let me ask that question. How many of you have ever tried to give up a bad habit? Just tried to give up, I mean, incredibly easy, isn't it? You just decide, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore, and it's it's gone, right? (laughs) No. I still pop my knuckles. I've tried to give it up many, many times. Stop it. My wife, stop popping your knuckles. I'm still popping my knuckles. I, not that I want to. I don't even know I'm doing it half the time. The same is true for consequential matters. It's difficult to change how we think. It's difficult to change how we behave. There has to be a deep abiding desire to do so. And so sometimes we simply need to be taught. And that's the easy time, really. But then there are times when we just don't want to give up something that we have become comfortable with. James is addressing all of this. And today's passage, you know, next week, next week Stephen gets to preach to you about the power of prayer and coming to God with your needs. Yay, we get, he gets a victorious, let's go do this sermon. I get to preach to you, well, let me just look at this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. I th- two weeks ago when I preached, I also had a difficult one. I need to think about this better. Next time we're planning out who gets, I'm going to look and give you the hard ones, okay? I'm taking, I'm taking the easy ones from now on. So let's take a look here at chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. So James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Oh, boy. As I mentioned, you know, James throughout this book is addressing what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's talking about how we treat each other's. He's addressed how we talk. Last week, Stephen brought up future planning. How, how, do we, how do we look at the future? How do we plan for things? Is God central to our planning or is he merely an afterthought? I was reminded last week as, as Stephen was preaching uh, of a Neil Diamond song. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Neil Diamond fan, uh, much to my wife's chagrin. And um, th- there's a song on one of his albums that uh, that's, uh, the song is, t- is titled, Leave a Little Room for God. And the first, the, the opening line, leave a little room for God as you're going through the day. Leave a little room for God. You know he won't get in your way. And... The very first time I heard that song, I'm sitting there going, you know, Mr. Diamond, I do enjoy your music, but in this case, you are absolutely and unequivocally wrong. No, it's not leave a little room for God. God takes everything. 
But I think the way we often live our lives, including believers, you and I, is we just leave a little room for God. Sometimes we do our daily devotion, you know, read the, the, our daily bread or, or the open windows or whatever we're, we're doing, and we feel good because we've done our daily devotion, you know? But the entire rest of the day, we don't really think about God. I'm guilty of that. I start my day off, do my Bible reading, have my prayer. But then the rest of the day, I'm just busy. Do we pause and stop? Do we begin and end everything with prayer? God, what do you want me to do? How should I handle this situation, this problem? I'm getting ready for a meeting. Father, give me wisdom and help me to glorify you. This passage here, where James is essentially attacking the wealthy, what he's getting at is a heart condition. He's not saying that simply having money is wrong, but how did we get it and what are we doing with it? How are we treating other people? All our worldly possessions are going to disappear. In these first six verses, James warns the wealthy to make sure that their value system lines up with God's value system. Nothing we have can be taken with us. How are we investing? These wealthy people that he is condemning here, he's not condemning them just because they have wealth, but because their attitude towards it, their sinful use of it, is abusive to fellow human beings. It takes God out of the equation. There's hubris, pride. In this, and one of the, the questions that comes up that I've wrestled with is, you know, how much is enough? When do we have too much? That's a question that each and every single one of us need to answer individually. I think more importantly, it's what are we doing with it? But here's an interesting factoid that I discovered this week as I was researching and preparing this message. Here's something about our country that's not so, not so, I don't, anyway. In 1965, the average CEO in the U.S. earned 20 times more than the average worker, the average employee. 20 times more. But in 2015, that average had risen to 300 times. I don't know, I find that Disturbing. Conversely, here's an interesting story I, I heard years ago, and I looked it back up again because I wanted to get all my information straight. There's a, a CEO in Seattle, uh, runs a company, and he made a lot of waves. He was very successful. He started the business when he was still in college. Uh, it, was, it was very successful, but he became personally convicted about the disparity between how much his employees were making and how much he and the other C-suite were making, the other executives. 
he was out hiking with a friend who was explaining how difficult it was for her to get by. And so he decided to do something radical. He decided that he would raise the starting salary at his company to $70,000 a year. And he would reduce his salary to $70,000. And then in the article I read, he discovered, like several months after he made this decision to raise the salary, he realized, though, that the average person in Seattle, which is one of the most expensive cities in the country, the average person needed $75,000 to actually um, live without having to worry about money. He's like, okay, well, oops, uh, let's try again. But it was an interesting decision that he had made. One of the stepping stones to this was one of his employees, one of his managers, one of his managers, um, had had to get a second job working at a McDonald's to make ends meet. And so she was, she was working the second job after she'd get off work at his company. She'd go work a shift at McDonald's. And she accidentally left, the way, the way that the company, his company found out, is she accidentally left the training manual at her desk that she was reading during her break time and her lunchtime. Well, when they found that, she was called in. You know, he was, he was there, HR, the whole thing. And she was afraid she was going to get fired. And he simply asked the question. And keep in mind, this is before he'd made the decision to raise everybody's salaries to 70000 He asked the question, how much do you actually need to not have to have this job? He didn't realize things were that difficult for her. And so finding out how much she needed to be able to not have to have that second job, he increased her salary by that much. And then he began to increase the annual raises of everybody, the percentage they got. He saw that there was a disparity. He saw, you know something? I've got three houses. I don't need three houses. I am living way above my needs and my means. He saw something that needed to be fixed, and he decided to fix it. He had control over this little bit, and he decided to do what he could. Take a look at at Luke chapter 6. And this ties into this passage here. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 24, it says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you, who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
but love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. In Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. The problem with with money, the problem with wealth is that we tend not to rely on God. We become self-sufficient. We begin relying on ourselves. We think that we've got this all together. And I've seen this in my own life. The times when things are hard and life seems to be falling apart are the times when I cling to God because I've got no choice. But when life seems to be going well, that's when I tend to get complacent. We are to cling to God at all times. And our attitude needs to be one that is mentioned here. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. If God has blessed us, it is so that we can be a blessing to others. One of the problems in church life that we see repeated over and over and over is that the church, this illustration I read in a, in a, in a, a replanting revitalization book uh, some years back, the church is intended to be a battleship. But over time, we let the guns go to rust and we begin to bring out the deck chairs and it becomes more like a cruise ship. And we become more interested in our comfort than in our fighting trim. Anybody who's ever been in the military or any situation where you have to do regular drills knows that those can be annoying, can't they? I mean, the alarm goes off and you're going to battle stations and you know it's just a drill, but for, on, for crying out loud, you're right in the middle of whatever and you're going to have a mess to clean up when you get back. But without those drills, when the real thing happens, you're not going to be prepared. We need to stay in fighting trim. What things are we storing up? How are we investing our resources, our time, our energy, our money, our property, whatever it is that we have? How are we investing? The illustration or the, the words here that James uses, he talks about 
their gold and their silver are corroding. He talks about things spoiling. It's just going to go to waste if we don't invest it for the kingdom, if we don't use it for God's glory. And again, the point here is not the stuff. The point here is is not your, your bank account. The point here is how much are you loving your neighbor as yourself? How much are you loving God? That's really the heart issue. We need to set our affections on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. So let's continue on here. In verse 7 of James chapter 5, he says, Be patient therefore, brothers. Be patient therefore. He's just gone through this whole litany of things. Woe to the, to the rich. Weep and howl for your wealth. And then immediately, be patient therefore until the coming of the Lord. We scurry about and try to grab gain now when we should be having a longer view. Be patient now, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Be patient. Remember again how we use our tongues. Are we building people up? Or are we tearing them down? Are we helping our brothers and sisters? Or do we have tunnel vision and we can't see the pain that they are going through? How do we treat people? Do we have a heart that is soft? Or have our hearts become hard? Verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by, other, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Now, I read the Luke, uh, just, just a little bit ago we read Luke's, part of Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, and now here is Matthew's account. And some of this is going to be very similar, but we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, and it says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath 
by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. I'm going to pause there. James chapter 5, verse 12. Above one, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You see the connection here between Jesus' words and James. Are we people of integrity? Do we care about people? Do they know that when we say something, we mean it? Back to Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go, with one, to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? What is most valuable to you? Is it your relationship with God? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself? Remember two weeks ago, I mentioned that, and I talked about joy. The key to joy is putting Jesus first, Others second and yourself last. How's your joy meter? Where are your treasures? Where is your heart? See, for James here, the issue isn't just that people had wealth and or anything else. It, it was the heart. Don't grumble against each other. Don't be judgmental towards each other. Love each other. Where's your heart? Be people of integrity. Be people of faith. And we know that James, James is very much concerned with whether rubber hits the road. If you say you believe, prove it. I remember years ago when the Soviet Union was still existing, being challenged with this. If it became illegal to be a Christian here in the United States, is there enough evidence to convict you? If it, became if it became illegal to be a Christian here in the U.S., is there enough evidence to convict me? 
Do I live as a follower of Jesus Christ? Or do I just talk a good game? And that is something that as a pastor, as a preacher, gives me great pause. Again, we're told that not many of us should seek to be teachers for we'll be judged more harshly. Am I just talking? Or am I also living? And maybe, if you think back over the course of your last week, your last month, the last year, and if you have trouble identifying any particular time where you've actually shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody, perhaps you should also ask, well, am I not sharing because I know I'm not living? Am I not sharing Jesus? Am I not being a witness because I know there's no evidence to support my claim? Let's pray. Father in heaven, May you be glorified always and forever. May you be glorified. Lord God in heaven, please stir our hearts to love you more, to love our neighbors more. Please help us to lean on you for everything, to praise you when things go well, to cry out to you when things don't. Please help us to follow you day in and day out. Not just go for the mountaintop moments. Not just exalt your name when we see the wonderful vistas before us. But to praise your name as Paul and Silas did, even if we are in the valley of the shadow of death, in the prison chained to the wall whether physically or metaphorically. Help us to trust you and to follow you. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.